the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to the World of Islam podcast. My name is Amin Tais. In the previous episode, we discussed the tensions about the elaboration of law between Ahl al-Ra'i and Ahl al-Hadith, as well as the compromise initiated by a Shafi'i who died in 820, and which would put in place the first building blocks of the field of usul al-fiqh, the principles or sources of jurisprudence, a theoretical model to elaborate legal rulings or ahkam. Today, we will continue our historical survey and discuss the rise of the orthodox schools of law, al-madhahib al-fiqhiyya, singular madhab. The term madhab translated to English as legal school or guild, could be more accurately understood as a commitment to a legal framework and legal precedents that are attributed by later jurists to a founding figure, the Imam of the Madhab. Not to be confused with Imam in the Shi'ite sense, which as we have seen in previous episodes, is given to the divinely inspired descendants of Ali and Fatima, Muhammad's daughter. Let's step back in order to understand the development of these madhabs. By the 700s, a number of prominent teachers in various centers of the Muslim empire, particularly Iraq, Syria, and Medina, these teachers gathered around them many followers, and the followers applied the doctrines of their teachers and in turn taught them to their own students. This is a period where searching for religious knowledge had become an important activity. The notion of a safar لطلب العلم, traveling to seek knowledge, would become a hallmark of Islamic civilizations over the centuries. It will include various fields of knowledge, like philosophy, law, theology, mysticism, hadith, and even the natural sciences. For the subjects at hand today, the circles of such prominent figures as Sufyan al-Thawri, who died in 777, and Abu Hanifa, who died in 767, both in Iraq, and uh, al-Awza'i, who died in 774 in Syria, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, who died in 715, and his student Malik ibn Anas, who died in 795, both in Medina, and many more would become rich producers of legal knowledge within a religious framework. With time and with the accumulation of legal opinions and doctrines, 
and under the influence of a changing political landscape, an institutionalization process would occur leading to the ultimate formation of madhabs. Let's first highlight some of the political shifts that participated in driving this process. You might remember that in 750, the Abbasid dynasty would establish itself as the ruling dynasty of the empire at the expense of the Umayyads, except in Spain, in which a rival Umayyad caliphate maintained its independence from the Abbasid caliphs. The Abbasid caliphs who would build Baghdad in 762 as their capital in Iraq, not too far from the city of Ctesiphon, the capital of the former Iranian Sasanian Empire and before it Parthian Empire. The early Abbasid era would be an exceptionally rich time at the political, intellectual, and religious levels. We had previously discussed the intense theological debates that occurred in this period. This period also saw the slow rise of distinct, doctrinally different Shiite and Sunni religious identities as opposed to the earlier, mostly political clashes over community leadership. We also saw how, in some ways, the rationalist theologians had lost major religious ground to the perspectives of traditionalist jurists who regained the favor of the Abbasid caliphs after the end of the Mehna or Inquisition. By the 10th century, the 900s, new significant political shifts were underway. The Abbasid caliphs would be seriously challenged in their dominance, and the relative unity of the empire would slowly erode. The world of Islam was entering the time of regional powers. Many dynasties would come to control various parts of Dar al-Islam, or the abode of Islam, as Muslim jurists called the lands under Muslim political control. The most important challenge to the Abbasids was the rise of a Shiite dynasty adhering to the Ismaili branch of Shiism. This was the Fatimid dynasty. The Fatimid dynasty would start from what is today Tunisia, and then would establish itself in Cairo, Egypt, as a major political player in most of North Africa and beyond, even controlling for a period Mecca and Medina, the two holiest cities in Islam. The Fatimids would maintain their rule from 909 to 1171, when they were finally defeated by a major political figure in medieval Islam, Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi, known in Europe as Saladin. But that's a story for another time. What matters to us here is that the Fatimids had become a major challenger to the Abbasids. But this was not the only challenge. Some historians have dubbed the 10th century the Shiite century. 
a number of dynasties that adhered to one or another form of Shiism came to control different parts of the Abbasid Empire. Even Baghdad would fall in the mid-900s to the Buyids, a Shi'i dynasty stemming from Iran. While this signaled the decline of the Abbasids, the Abbasid caliphs were maintained as a symbol of unity of the now divided Muslim lands. But the caliphs were mostly puppets in the hands of different military rulers who controlled all the major political decisions. It is within this shifting political landscape that Sunni legal schools or madhabs solidified, partly as unifying structures for Sunni identity around a general methodology or theory of usul al-fiqh, the four main sources of which I mentioned in the previous episodes, the Qur'an, the Sunnah through Hadith, Ijma' or Consensus, and Qiyas or Analogical Reasoning. By the 12th century, the 1100s, four major madhabs would impose themselves on the Sunni landscape. The Hanafi madhab, named after Abu Hanifa, who died in 767, the Maliki Madhab, named after Malik ibn Anas, who died in 795. The Shafi'i Madhab, named after Ash-Shafi'i, who died in 820. And the Hanbali Madhab, named after Ahmed ibn Hanbal, who died in 855. The diversity between the Madhabs would be maintained on legal rulings that were established early on in the legal circles of those scholars or were inherited from even earlier figures. The diversity was also maintained through the secondary usul or sources that developed within each circle but that had to take a second seat to the four sources that I mentioned earlier. For instance, the Hanafis were more likely to use the methodological tool of istihsan, which can be translated as the preference of the jurist, whereas the Malikis were more likely to use the methodological tool of al-maslaha al-mursala, perhaps inadequately translated as public utility, but that connotes the legal search for what brings benefit to the community. I will try and go back to some of these issues in a little bit more detail in a future episode. For now, I want to briefly mention an important point concerning each madhab's perception of the one considered their founder or their imam. In a way that is reminiscent of the proponents of hadith's projection of the texts of the reports back to Muhammad himself, we see in the work of the later Madhabi jurists a drive to attribute the principles, methodologies, and doctrines of the Madhab to the one seen as the founding figure. Historically, these methodologies, principles, and doctrines are the result of a cumulative effort by the jurists associated 
with the tradition of a particular interpretative community and who works in dialogue and competition with other interpretative communities. Like with the Sunnah attributed to Muhammad and which is much more likely the cumulative cultural production of the first three generations of believers in reaction to their memory of Muhammad and in interaction with their changing environments, we have here, in the case of the Madhab's view of their doctrines and principles and legal opinions, what can be termed, following Professor Wa'il Halak, the construction of authority, the construction of the authority of the founding Imams. In this cultural context, as in other contexts in human history, cultures that value founding myths, myths of origin, that is, conceptions of the authentic origin that provides the group with a stable identity. In such contexts, we see a drive to establish one's authority through linking it directly to the sources, al-usul. Therefore, the legal schools, al-madhahib al-fiqhiyya, linked their projects to a founder, thus gaining legitimacy, maintaining group unity, and attracting followers. In this vision, the founder, the imam of the madhab, is the mujtahid, the one who goes back directly to the textual revealed sources using a clear methodology to derive legal rulings. Ijtihad, literally intellectual effort, a term that we encountered in a previous episode and which had a more flexible meaning in the early discussions of law, came to be a technical term within the more institutionalized frame so that ijtihad, in the context we are discussing in this episode, ought to be understood as the effort of the qualified jurist to derive legal rulings or ahkam from the textual sources and using the accepted methodological tools. In a way, the solidification of the madhabs signals the transition from the age of ijtihad to that of taqlid, a term that denotes strict adherence to the legal precedent of the school, of the madhab. We will discuss ijtihad and taqlid in more detail in a future episode. Thank you for listening. I leave you in peace.